Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith, Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr. Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within Black communities. In this seminal work, Dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book, it's a movement, a call to action create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix, today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Secret to Success podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest for each and every one of you. I have Mr. Cody Lowry with us today. How are you doing, Mr. Lowry? I am doing super duper. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So for those in our audience who do not know who you are and what it is that you do, can you please let our audience know, Mr. Lowry, who you are and all of the amazing things that you do? All the amazing things. Jeez, how can I count the ways? Well, my name is Cody <laughs> Lowry, and um, I've been in uh, advertising my my whole life. With that said, I, um, I've led a pretty eclectic life, and um, I just uh, published a book. It's uh, Simon & Schuster did the distribution, Postal Publishing, uh, published it, and uh, it came out in July 21st. It's getting great reviews. Uh, COVID-19 has kind of slowed down some of the personal appearances and public speaking that I have, but let me tell you what it is. Um, and I say eclectic life, um, you know, I set up a meeting with the President of the United States in one week. Uh, I was chosen to carry the torch in the Olympic torch relay. I've received a Super Bowl ring from one of NFL's Hall of Fame head coaches. Um, I got a baseball signed by the Pope. And um, I, I set up a meeting early on in my career. I did stand-up comedy, and I set up a, a meeting with the head guy, uh, talent for Saturday Night Live. And what's uh, pretty amazing about that is that um, I did it in about a day and a half. And, you know, it's a, it's a real interesting story. So the book I wrote is Schmooze, uh, What They Should Teach at Harvard Business School. Now, if you don't know what schmooze is, uh, it sends from the Yiddish word schmoozen, which means to chat idly or to chat in a friendly, persuasive manner, especially uh, so as to gain favor in business or connections. And schmooze clearly is that, but in the book, I've redefined schmooze. You know, we live in the most connected society in the history of the world, and yet we are more disconnected now than we've ever been. Uh, we are we're uh, surrounded by the Googles and you know the Facebooks and the Instagrams of the world and and they really have got a good hold on us. In fact, they want they want us to be uh, you know every waking moment uh, part of part of their platforms. And so schmooze is is kind of a lost art, and it's not just one thing. It's uh it's about you know a winning smile. It's about it's about mentoring to people. It's about persistence. And persistence is, is woven throughout the book. Is my favorite uh, quote is, fall down seven times, get up eight. And I can tell you this, that I've fallen down a lot of times, right? But you had to get up. Uh, it's about being a contrarian. It's about paying compliments. It's about staying relative. It's about being kind. And it's about being kind to all regardless of class. We are 99.9% .9 more alike than we are different. And I learned that at an early age, and, and, and I'll share that with you. Uh, it's about laughing at yourself. You know, sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. And, um, you know, that's, that makes life pretty boring, in, in my opinion. I encourage people to try to become a master at the podium. And... Um, you know, you look at Warren Buffett when he was 
starting out, he was scared to death to get up in front of people. Joel Osteen was the same way, scared to death to get up in front of people. And I can tell you that um, it, it has just had a big impact on my life. And um, I would encourage you if you're, if you're, if you, and let me tell you something, it's one of the greatest fears, you know, known to man, right? But I, I would encourage you if you're, if you're not getting up and you're not speaking in front of people to, you know, maybe take the Dale Carnegie course or, or uh, you know, start, start uh, getting up in front of people. And I can tell you that that'll change your life. And if, for parents out there, encourage your kids to get up. And a lot of times, you know, my, my dad used to say, hey, you want to see my kid do Elvis Presley? You know, and I'd have to get up. And I didn't want to do Elvis Presley, but I did. <laughs> and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and so it's real important that, that uh, you get comfortable at the podium. And if you do, and I say kids, your grandkids. I don't know who's on the line, but we might even have people that have grandkids. So I would encourage everybody to, to get comfortable at, at the podium. Um, it's about, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone. For me, it was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, somebody bet me that I couldn't run uh, the Marine Corps Marathon. I must tell you that up until that bet, I had only run maybe a mile uh, and that was to graduate high school, you know, and, and so it's a great story. It's in the book, and uh, you'll learn how this uh, this really slow, in fact, my, my pace, I, I found out something about myself, that I have what they call deceptive speed. I'm slower than I thought I was, right? And, uh, and I mean, I my jogging is, um, is like some people's cr- crawling, right? So, but so it, it's all of those things, and... Um, I mentioned early on that it was, um, you know, persistence. It's about staying with it. Mm-hmm. It's about never giving up. And uh, do, may I tell a little story? Please, go ahead. Yeah. So I uh, I wasn't uh, born with a gold spoon in my mouth, but I do remember us being somewhat comfortable. Um, with, with that said, my mom and dad moved to Florida when I was quite small from Motown, uh, Detroit, Michigan. And both my parents became, say that again? Oh, now I was saying, all right. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Well, um, and um, they became alcoholics, and my dad left us, and my mom was, uh, you know, raising the four kids. And within a seven-year period, a seven-mile radius, we moved 32 times. And um, I remember my mom encouraging us to, you know, stick with it. And there were better times to come for my siblings and I. And so I started selling papers when I was 11 years old. And I used to go to the uh, Sunrise Shopping Center in Fort Lauderdale every day after school. And I would get 15 papers and I would would, uh, manage to sell those papers. And then uh, Saturdays I would go. I'd get there around 9 in the morning, and they'd give me 35 papers. One thing I didn't want to do was ever uh, leave without selling all of my papers. So you can imagine how terrified I was one Saturday when the uh, my manager uh, t- said that he was going to give me 50 papers to sell. Now, i got to tell you, I – at the time, I thought there's no way I'm going to sell 50 papers. I mean, it was very difficult for me to sell 35, so an extra 
you know, 15 papers uh, was, you know, I thought insurmountable. So talk about persistence. I had this little schmooze trick that I that I used, and if somebody walked by, I'd say, Miami News, sir, Miami News, ma'am, and if they kept walking by, I'd say, sir, would you buy a paper if I told you where you got your shoes, what state you were born in, and how many birthdays mm-hmm. you've had? Well, usually the busiest person in South Florida would turn around and look at you and say, yeah, I'm game. I mean, come on, it was for a nickel, right? And I think you got your shoes on your feet, you were born in the state of infancy, and you've only had one birthday the day you were born. Well, that day that he gave me 50 papers, I walked and I talked to just about every everyone. And some of them I talked twice, right? So I talked to them twice, trying to pitch them for the paper. And it got to be around 6 o'clock. I was dead tired, and I had 12 papers left. And there were two things I could have done. I could have gone over to Nick's Bar, which was a kind of an upscale lounge adjacent to the shopping center, or I could walk across the street to a Jewish delicatessen called Wolfie's. Now, keep in mind, I was selling the Miami News, which was uh, really kind of the second paper in South Florida. The big paper was the Miami Herald. And I was going to go over to Nick's Bar, and I must tell you, Nick was a great guy. He had his Ph.D. in schmooze. And, you know, I'd walk in. He'd say, hey, kid, let me, let me give me those papers. Let's see if we can sell. He didn't even get the name right. Who wants to buy a Miami Herald, you know, what have you. But usually I left <laughs> that, that bar with all of my papers sold, you know. Well, I was closer to the Wolfie. So that uh, night I decided to walk across Sunrise Boulevard. I don't know if anybody's from South Florida, but kind of busy, busy street. And I walked across uh, Sunrise Boulevard, my 12 papers, and I got to, the, to Wolfie's, and, uh, and immediately I was really getting nervous. There was a man standing in front of Wolfie's selling the early edition of the Miami Herald. Now, for those of you that are not aware of the Miami Herald, back then it was probably double-sized, of the Sunday New York Times, he had the Miami Herald stacked up to the audience, three or up to the audience, up up to the awning, and they were, you know, they were three stacked all the way up to the awning, and and so the smart thing for me would have been to you know, hightail it back over to Nick's, but I decided that you know I'd give it the old college try, right? Um, so anyway, I stood maybe ten feet from him, and for the next. 20 to 30 minutes, everybody that walked out of Wolfie's got an enthusiastic pitch. Miami News, Blue Street Edition. That was the Saturday edition, by the way. And this guy was selling the Sunday Miami Herald. Miami News, ma'am. Miami News, sir. And I was just about ready to hang it up. I was dead tired. About 25, like I said, 30 minutes had passed. And I was gathering my stuff. And a guy comes blowing out of the the restaurant. And I I said... Uh, I'm going to give it one last shot. And so I, I said, sir, Miami News. And he kept walking. I said, would you buy a paper if I told you where you got your shoes, what state you were born in, and how many birthdays you've had? He turned around so abruptly I thought he was going to hit me. And like most people that had a smile on their face, this guy wasn't smiling. He said he looked down and, and in a in a tone that really didn't match his his facial expression. He said, son, 
how many papers you got left? And I said, I have 12, sir. He said, that's exactly how many I want, and then I want you to go home. So two things that that taught me early on at age 11. Number one, obviously, to be persistent. But Mm -hmm. he planted a seed in me to be kind to all and be kind to the less fortunate. And today, you know, I'm considered the biggest pushover when it when it comes to, you know, the, the straight people and the homeless and what have you. And, you know, they, they say, well, you know, they're going to they're gonna use that money to buy beer, you know. Well, I've done my research, and I know that about 85% of the people out there are lonely. Um, many of them are, are homeless. But you know what? 85% of them are just hungry. And I must tell you, I can't figure out the ones that are counting me and the ones that aren't. And, um so you'll you'll see that in the book. It's about um, it really is about uh, being kind to all. I I can remember not too long ago, my parish priest and my wife and I we went to Rome and my wife was uh, sick that day. So uh, Father Coffin and myself we were taking in the sights of Rome and as we walked by the Pantheon, I saw something I couldn't believe. There was a man on what looked like a, you know, a skateboard with no limbs, no arms, no legs, and he was begging. He had a, he had a cup attached to his waist. And I, I got to tell you, they... As the year winds to a close, a new work life normally is emerging. How we work, where and when we work, and what work we're willing to do have all changed. Here to help break it all down is LinkedIn's Jessie Hempel and her podcast, Hello Monday. Hello Monday is for listeners who are looking to grow their professional lives and take ownership over their careers. Through each episode, listeners will learn they have more agency than ever before when it comes to changing their circumstances. Join Jessie as she talks to luminaries, legends, and listeners about their career journeys and takeaways that you can apply to your own career. If you want more from your professional life, whether it's a career pivot, a promotion, or even a first job, Hello Monday is here to help show you how. Listen and subscribe. Listen and subscribe to Hello Monday with Jesse Hempel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite pods. Because he didn't have any arms or legs, that isn't what gave me pause. What what gave me pause is that everybody that walked by, even if they gave him you know, some money, put money in his can. They did so without any human interaction at all. And then most of the people, you know, walk right by him. And so Father and I, uh, we walked up to him and I said, ciao. And that's Italian word for hello and about the only Italian word I knew. And um, he he uh, looked at me and he, he lit up like a Christmas tree. And so I was trying to communicate with him as best I could with any Italian I knew. But after about 15 minutes, uh, we had to get on with it. And I put some money in his can, and and Father blessed him. And I said, ciao again, because that was the only word. It's good for hello, goodbye, whatever. I got about 10 feet away, and I turned around to look at my new friend. And he was smiling at me, and I smiled back. We were both schmoozing, right? And uh, it was it was a moment I will never forget. And in the book, you'll you'll read about various encounters that 
that I've had about, uh, you know, reaching out to people um, a whole lot less fortunate, uh, you know, than, you know, the, the, the public as a whole. And um, so that was a, uh, that's something that's in the book. The, uh, the other part that uh, I think uh, in the uh, book that uh, is very important, especially for all of you entrepreneur, entrepreneurs or maybe you're getting into business or maybe you're struggling in your, your job, let me tell you what I've lived by. I've lived by the secret sauce. And before I tell you what the secret sauce is, and if you have a pencil and paper, you might want to write this down. The secret sauce is something that enabled me. I had my own business for 25 years, and then somebody bought me out about five years ago, and I'm still president of their retail division. But we have clients on the books, and we've had them for 30 years. There are people on this call who are not 30 years old. Maybe you're 18, 19, 20, whatever. We've had them for 30 years. We've had them for 20 years. We've had clients uh, that, is, that is almost unheard of in our industry because I'm in the advertising business, and I said retail, but I really, uh, I'm, I really spend a lot of time in automotive, and I deal with the manufacturers, I deal with groups, and I also deal with, with uh, what they call Tier 3. This is the, the guy around the corner from you that owns the Ford store, the Toyota store, what have you. And these guys are a very, very difficult bunch. And in my world, if you keep a dealer for five years, you're doing very, very well. Because if they have a bad month, the first thing you want to do is, you know, fire the ad guy, right? So when I tell you that, that I've had clients on the books for 30 years, and by the way, this one for 30 years, it is a, 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 an individual dealer. He's, uh, he's located in North Carolina. He has Toyota, Honda. Nissan, what have you, and uh, I started the relationship with his dad, and um, and now he and I are are great friends. But let me give you the secret sauce. If you got a pen, pen or pencil with you, write this down. Number one, build relationships. Get the customer to trust you, and I'm going to go over all these. And number three, never, ever, ever let them down. And I'm going to tell you something. The when, when I talk about building relationships, I'm not I'm not talking about you know spending a year or two years building a relationship. When we build relationships with people, ladies and gentlemen, we have to we have to consider that people make a decision on us in the first thirty seconds that they meet us. So when we build relationships, we have to. Um, Make a good impression. I always tell people you never get a second chance to make a first impression, and mm-hmm. and you don't. And I will tell you this is this is a great story. I was I had my own agency and was working it, and I was in um, Tampa at the time when I got a call from uh, somebody from North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was an automobile dealer, and he said, you know the the Toyota dealers are getting together and. Um, we'd love for you to come up and have dinner with us. So I thought that was a great idea. They were staying at the Grove Park Inn, which is a very magnificent uh, venue. And uh, I can remember getting there kind of late, and I walked into the room where they all were. It was just the dealers. And they had started having hors d'oeuvres and, you know, beers and, and what have you. And then I sat down to dinner, and I was having a good time. I was 
I was building relationships with everybody. And, and there's a, I can tell you how to build relationships, but I don't think I've got enough time, but we, we can maybe on another call. So almost at the end of the evening, and I, I knew everybody in that room. I knew, I knew this guy and the family that his family and how many kids he had, what college he went to and his likes, his dislikes. I knew this guy, the same thing. I knew I, 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 I was, collecting data that I might be able to use later, right? And so somebody casually mentioned to me, um, well, who did you bring with you? And I thought that was an odd question. Who did I bring with me? And I said, well, I, I just came by myself. And they said, oh, they kind of looked at me. And um, here's what was going on. The next morning, there was a major presentation for their account, a multi-million dollar account. They had invited four agencies, and I was one of the agencies. Although I got some misinformation, and I ended up show, showing up by myself, right? I didn't have a big uh, media person with me. I didn't, I didn't have the creative team with me. I had no storyboards. I had no parting gifts. Parting gifts sometimes in pitches you give, you give uh, the prospective clients, you know, little uh, takeaway gifts. I mean, I had nothing. I had nothing but myself, and I had something that the rest of them didn't have. I had an opportunity to get to know them, to build a relationship in about two or three hours. So the next morning, it was pretty scary. I mean, I actually thought about that night. I actually thought about you know, just, uh, you know, letting them know that I was not uncomfortable with this. And, you know, all I had was a VHS tape. And you, I don't know if anybody remembers. If you're 18 or 19, you probably don't know what a VHS tape was. But in any event, I, um, I didn't have anything. I mean, I knew, I knew media, but I didn't know the Charlotte market. I knew our creative strategy, but I didn't have any storyboards with new creative and, you know, all I had basically was myself, right? And so um, the next morning, you know, I'm meeting the rest of the agency people, and, I mean, they're looking at me like I'm nuts. You know, I'm a, like a one-man band, and they've got, you know, three or four people with them, and, uh, you know, they've got all the things that you would expect that they would have. So I was the last one to go on, and if there's anybody there listening in advertising, you know, that's a good place to be. Be the last one. So they went through one agency, two agencies. They got through the agencies, and I was next. And I walked into that room, and you would have thought that I was that I was at a, a school reunion or something. Cody, hey, how you doing, man? That was fun last night. Hey, great time, Cody. Hey, I like that story. And now, I mean, I felt so comfortable because I had an opportunity to to actually build a relationship with these people. So here is the, the first good news. The first good news is after all the presentations were done, they walked out into the lobby, and one of, one of the, the gentlemen, I won't mention his name, but anyway, he said, Cody, we'd like to see you uh, in the meeting room. And I walked in, and they closed the door, and they said, congratulations, and they all applauded. I couldn't believe it. But when I look back on it, the reason that I got that account is because I was building relationships and I build and I was building them early. And that's what you have to do uh, with with um, the secret sauce. 
when you're when you're building that relationship. Let me just tell you a little tidbit that was um, was really awesome. That particular account changed my life. We got that account, we picked it up, and the next thing you know, the market share goes from like six point eight to um, you know, 10 or 11 or whatever, and now I'm getting calls, hey, will you go to Columbia? Will you go here? Will you go there? About two years went by, and, you know, we had seven or eight Toyota associations, which um, was really, really, really good business. So you, you, build the, the, you build the relationship. You get the customer to trust you. Now, I must tell you, there is nothing more important than trust. I won't get into it today, but I talk, I, I will, I talk a lot about your own personal brand. You know, you got Amazon and you got Coca-Cola and you got, and they all have their, their business brands. Coca-Cola, incidentally, in 19, or in 2018, they did 35 billion in sales, but their brand was worth about 68 billion. So when I talk about building your brand and 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 building trust, there's nothing more important than that. I have account executives that that uh work for me and have worked with me over the years and and I will admit to all of you right now if you promise not to tell anybody, I'm not perfect. <laughs> and our agency our agency does make mistakes on occasion. And I can't tell you how many times I had an account executive, a media person, a creative person, a you know, whatever, come in and said, oh, God, we screwed up. Oh, we might lose the account. We did this, blah, 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 blah. What should we do? I said, you call the account and you tell them the truth. Well, what if we, what if we just say that? We, no, that's not how it goes. Okay, that's not how you keep accounts. There are no little white lies in life. And if you want to aspire to that kind of a, a, a you know, a, a way of doing business, then I, then I promise you, you know, you're not going to end up with clients that you've had for 30 years. So you have to get the customer to trust you. And, and trust doesn't happen in the first, uh, you know, 30 seconds. It does happen over a, you know, a period of time. And, uh, and then never let them down. Never let them down. Never, ever, ever let them down. And, and in my arena, never letting them down was teaching, um, my people. And I used to teach and preach it that, that, uh, you know, we have to give Ritz Carlton service, service over and above what they would expect. So if they call at seven o'clock at night, I am determined to be rich. The middle class is not for me. I need news that cares about me. And not news that's going to scare me or make me mad at another people. I need news without politics. And I want news that will point me to the money. This is the news where it happens. The moments that change the world. These are the stories we need. The info that we care about. We only give you news that puts money in your pocket. And the news that gives us an advantage. This is the work that continues. Who we are today. And what we can become. Tomorrow. That's it. This is where news without agendas can lead us. Your wealth matters. This is why more perspectives make us stronger. And how our mission 
can inspire tomorrow. This is journalism that helps the world we live in. This is Mexit News. And everybody has their, their cell phones, right? You pick up the phone and you find out what it is. On Sundays, we have clients that have issues or they just want, you know, they want their blankie. Um, and I, I have a few of those. They just want to talk. And they want to strategize about whatever. And I can look down and I can tell, oh boy, this is going to be a five-minute or, oh, my God, this is like 30 minutes on a Sunday. I pick up the phone and I talk to him because there's a reason that he reached out to me, and it's, it's because he trusts me. And um, so it, it's something that I cover in the book, and, and I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's something everybody ought to look at. And even if you don't buy the book, maybe you can um, – you took good notes and you can, you know, have – you know, get a good lesson from that. In the book, I talk about um, having fun. If you go to Amazon or books online and people that have reviewed it, um, you know, they've got little catchphrases. Well, it's inspirational, his book. Um, it's um, it's uh, uh, educational. It's self-help. And then they always put in humorous. And it is kind of a humorous book. And, and I can tell you that I have um, – I've gone through life and I wake up every morning and, and I have fun. And it's something that uh, if you got your chin in your chest, I would suggest that you kind of think about, you know, approaching life a little bit uh, differently. I can remember one one Christmas uh, party that a client had at a great big place in Orlando. It's called the Citrus Club, and it's on top of this big building, and it's kind of a formal place. And the maitre d' came up to – he was an automobile dealer, by the way. He came up to the uh, – uh, dealer, and uh, he said, hey, we're going to have to cut him off. And that was funny, and it was funny for a lot of reasons, not the least of which I hadn't had the first drink yet. So I was having fun and having <laughs> a good time, and, and, and I would encourage you to, to do just that. Um, I, uh, I was kind of born with a lampshade on my head, and I know everybody wasn't, but you know, life is short, and if you live to be a hundred, um, you want to have fun in life. And uh, I can tell you, I when I go through airports, I'll bark, woof, woof, and people don't know. You know, then they'll turn around and look, and and then I will engage various people and have fun with them. And um, you know, that's that's what I like to do. And I, I can tell you, that's where schmoozing. You have fun with people. The schmoozing really helps. I can't tell you how many times now, not since March. And I was just up in Chicago, but I haven't been flying like I did. I used to fly almost 200 segments um, a, a year, so I was I was always always in the airport. And I can tell you um, that on numerous numerous occasions, because they got to know me pretty good, the like the the people at the front desk, they'd say, "Cody, Cody, come here," and I I'd, I'd turn in my uh, coach ticket, and they would hand me a first class ticket or free drinks or what have you, the, the reason that, um, you know, I, I think I was the beneficiary of that, those kinds of things is because I engaged them, number one. I reached out to them. I was interested in them. And, and I was fun to talk to, okay? So um, do you know how to tell a joke? Find a joke that, you know, 
you like and you think is funny and, and, and learn the joke. Nothing, nothing is worse, at least for me. And we've got a guy at the, at the club. When, he, when I see him come and I, I try to get turned the other way because I know he's going to tell me a joke, and I know that he only knows about half of that joke. And he's going to start that joke over two or three times. And, um, uh, but sometimes I can't, can't get out of his way, and he engages me. And I sit there, and I smile, and I take it all in. But, you know, learn how to tell a joke. Have fun. And, and, um, and then, you know, learn to laugh at yourself a little bit. Sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. I can remember uh, probably about 20 years ago, I've got uh, three kids, Cody, Chelsea and Kip, and they were, uh, um, they're all about a year apart, right? And so I remember coming home from, from work and it was a late and they were downstairs and, you know, I was upstairs and my wife and I had just bought a brand new green suede couch. And I love this green suede couch. I mean, I really thought, I wouldn't buy the thing today, but back then I thought I had arrived, you know. And I walked in and I walked up to the couch and there was a big stain in the middle of the couch. And I went, oh, my God. And immediately, immediately, Cody, Kelsey, Kip, get up here right now. By God, I was going to find out where that stain came from, right? So up mm-hmm. they came, Cody, Chelsea, and Kip, Cody being the oldest. And I said, I want to know who did it. I want to know now, and I want the truth. And my son, Cody Jr., looks at me, and he said, Dad, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> and I, 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 I laugh at that. And you know what I forgot to do? I tell this story in the book, and, and I guess I left some people hanging because in, in one of the reviews they said, how did it happen? And I never really tell you. So now you're going to know something that people that read the book don't know. We had a young man uh, that lived behind our house. It was a friend of my boys. And from what I understand, he drank a couple beers really quick. And he he spilled uh, his personal whatever all over the couch. And so that's what oh, happened. No. And uh you know, a, a nice guy, but I've been talking a lot. Uh, do you have some questions for me? You have actually been answering. If What's our that? audience was paying, if our audience was paying attention, you have actually given us a lot of nuggets, and I'm I'm just enjoying I'm enjoying the knowledge that you're giving us. You know, build relationships, get get the customer to trust you, never let them down, have fun learn to laugh at yourself and just all in all just be from what I'm getting from you, Mr. Lowry, just all in all just be a good person. Yep. You know, if you're yeah, if you're a good person, it really it will lead you to your success. It will lead you to your prosperity. Well absolutely. And you you've got uh, um you know when you when you go through life and 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 as I said, life is short so you gotta make make the most of it. And um, you know you gotta you gotta reach out to the less fortunate. You gotta be kind. You gotta smile. Um, you gotta mentor. Um, my mentor was uh, 
was Hugh Hoffman. And um, I don't know if you have a mentor or you're mentoring to somebody, but I've I've done both. And and uh, one of them got me uh, an opportunity to carry the torch in the Olympics. Um, but uh, another mentor that I had, you know, like I said, I, I was raised without a father. So we had um, um, – gentleman by the name of Hugh Hoffman. And my brother, my younger brother actually met him first. And he had a, a tax accounting uh, business in Fort Lauderdale. And, he, you know, in in the Reader's Digest, they used to have a, a section called The Most Unforgettable Character. And I thought, you know, someday I might just write the Reader's Digest and tell them about Hugh Hoffman. So he was, um, he was a guy, like I said, he had his own company and he had um, he had what he what my brother and I called Hoffmanisms, words of advice. He said, "Cody, you never lend money to a friend. It's the quickest way to lose one." Well, I can tell you, I haven't. <laughs> over the years, I've I've lent money to friends, and sometimes it hasn't worked out so well. But in any event, um, you know, he said, "If somebody initiates the bet, don't take it." He said. He says, when I have the cleaning people come in to clean up the office, I hide money in the seats. Tells me two things. One, if they clean there. Two, if they're honest. You know? And he had, so he had all of these, these Hoffmanisms. And he, he was just a wonderful guy. He would never, ever, uh, based upon that advice, he would never lend you any money. I can remember for homecoming, I need to make some money. So I went over to his house and I asked him if he had anything I could do. And he thought, he thought. He finally said, well, mow the lawn. And I said, Hugh, and that's what we called him, my brother and I said, Hugh, somebody's already mowed the lawn. He said, well, then mow it again. And, you know, and, and so that's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of guy he was. But, you know, I talk about having fun. This is where I uh, – here's an example of that. Remember, he said, he said, if somebody initiates the bet, don't take it. So mm-hmm. I remember I went over to his office and – he uh, he came out. He said, "Cody, he says I'll bet you one dollar that you can't find the horn on my new Cadillac." He bought a new Cadillac every year, you know. And he says, "And let me tell you something: five people have already lost the day." Well, remembering what he, the advice he had given me a year prior, I said to him, um, "I said, well, you know, I don't think I'm interested in that." He went back into his office, and so when he went back into his office, I went out to the uh, front waiting area. And I called Connor Brown Cadillac, the only Cadillac store in town. And I got a salesman on the phone. I said, hey, listen. I said, where is the um, horn on the new Cadillac? He says, oh, all you do is is squeeze the steering wheel. I said, really? Okay. (laughs) Now, out comes Hoffman, right? He's a big guy. He looks like Paul Bunny. He's a big head, big big hand, big feet, and, you know, somewhat awkward in in his own skin, right? And so I said, now, Hugh, what was this again about um, the horn or something? He said, Cody, listen, I'll bet you $1. Let me tell you. And he reminded me again. I'll bet you $1 and five people have already lost that you can't find the horn, and I'll give you one minute. And I said, you're on, just like that. He, He jumped back, and we went outside. It was the funniest thing. I got in the car, uh, had power windows, put the window down. We turned the you know, the the engine on, and he's standing over me with his watch, and he's looking at his watch. You, you would have thought this was, a you know, a shuttle launch or something. He said, don't go, don't go. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. All right. One, two, three, 
go. And I squeeze. He goes, son of a, you know what? And he goes, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. He says, I should have known. He says, you were a, you're a smart guy and blah, blah, blah. I didn't tell him right then. Uh, but about a year later, I told him, and he thought it was uh, it was great fun. But he was he was a great mentor, and I I look back at my my life and and uh, some of the ways that that um, you know that that he was so successful. He had in Fort Lauderdale, he had uh, religious uh, vacations Inc. Um, and he had like I don't know maybe six homes in Fort Lauderdale that he used to keep up. And preachers remember Fort Lauderdale. Um, he they would come mm-hmm. down and book a vacation at one of these houses and uh um so he, he you know I really learned a lot from this guy and a lot about bi- and business and and really a, a lot about persistence but I'm going to um maybe finish up here with a story about mentoring cuz I think it's uh I think it's a good one and I and I hope your audience out there um really thinks about mentoring to a to a young person, I know young person, or or maybe somebody that that uh, is really needs a little, uh, you know, a little help in life. So, I um, I was doing I was doing work for uh, Chevrolet Motor Division, and the gentleman that at the time um, that I met him, he was a he was the zone manager, so he handled all the Chevrolet dealers in the southeast and. We became friends, and then he was moved to Detroit, and he became uh, general marketing manager for Chevrolet, for Chevrolet and uh, doing some really creative kinds of ads. And uh, he called me one day, and he said, Cody, I was wondering if you could, uh, you know, spend some time with my son. And his son had just graduated from college, I say just graduated, maybe two or three months, and he was having a hard time finding a job in his position. And he says, you know, a lot of people in Tampa, and maybe you can, you know, network with them and, and help them out. So, you know, I met with his son. Uh, we met like um, maybe three weeks. We'd meet on a Tuesday or whatever it was. But we'd meet once a week. And um, I um, I got a call from him. He said, he said, Cody, can I come over? He says, he says I got a job. And I thought, wow. So he comes over, and uh, he's all excited. And he tells me his job. He said, I said, well, where did you get it? And uh, he says, well, I'm going to be account executive at blah, blah, blah agency. I don't want to name the agency. And um, I looked at him, and that blah, blah agency represented Chevrolet Motor Division, right? They did the iconic ads, you know. Heartbeat of America, baseball, hot dogs, apple pies, and Chevrolet, uh, like a rock, you know, all just incredible, creative. And uh, I said, well, why are you doing that? And I, I said, that's not what you want to do. He said, I'm just tired. I'm, he said, I'm working at TGF Fridays, and I'm just tired of cooking hamburgers, and I just want to get on with my life. And I looked at him, and I said, don't take it. I said, your dad is in a position, if he wants to get you that job tomorrow, the next day, next year, all he's got to do is pick up that phone, and guess what? You'll be an account executive at this ad agency. And I encouraged him to stick with it. And about, he agreed, and about a week later, um, I get a call, and he got his dream job in South Florida. And... um that led to a deeper relationship, that mentoring. 
so much so that all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting invited to weddings and, you know, all kinds of things. And then one day I get a call from this gentleman from Detroit, and he had nominated me um, to carry the torch in the Olympics. And um, that is um, an incredible honor. And Magic Johnson, they just had a, a um, I don't know if you have, had had an opportunity to see it, but they kind of did a, a, a little bio on his life, and he's they take him to his, he's in his house, and he walks over to this plaque. He said, this is, this is something that I will cherish for the rest of my life. And on the plaque that he has is a torch with the Olympic, you know, the Olympic torch, and it's, it's really uh, something that's very nice. And the reason I know it's nice is I have one, too. And, you know, I wasn't a basketball all-star and, you know, won all the awards and what have you, but. Uh, what I did do is I, I mentored, and I and I I tell people they're spoils to schmoozing, you know. They're you get you get paid back, and the reason I have an NFL Super Bowl ring is because I um, I reached out to a guy that became a very good friend of mine. Um, his name is Hank Stram. You can look him up. He was in the first Super Bowl and the fourth Super Bowl, and we became friends. I did commercials with him and you know, all kinds of things. And and one night uh, we were uh, having dinner, and I always worried about this guy, wondering if he was doing okay because he was, you know, if, if you if, – and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell your, your people, do yourself a favor. Go online and look at, say, Hank Stram NFL Films. He was the first guy that they ever wired up for NFL Films, and they asked him to do it, number one, as he never – he never said a cuss word in his life, right? And so they wired him up, and it's an iconic piece of work, a uh, film. And uh, so anyway, we we became um, we became friends, and and I'm I'm thinking maybe about eight years into the uh, relationship, I'm having dinner, and he's talking about this new deal that somebody was gonna you know, get him involved with, and, and, and I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. He's got another deal he's chasing after, and and I don't know. I just wanted to make sure he was all right, and I said, Coach, can I ask you a question? And he said, he said, yeah, and I said, I said, are you doing okay financially? Well, he laughed. He thought that was so funny, you know, and he, he thought it was funny on a couple of fronts. Number one, he was uh, head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs and Lamar Hunt, uh, many, many people out there will know that name, uh, multi-billionaire, set him up pretty good. And then he did uh, TV color for CBS. So he was on air with another guy named Jack Buck. Um, in fact, you know, when they had the CBS games at night, sometimes he'd call me at halftime, Cody, you know, good rent. How you doing, boy? I said, what are you doing calling? Uh, yeah. what do you, how do you think I'm doing? And, you know, a lot of times these people that are very, very successful and they have star power, they they also have a little side to them that's somewhat insecure. But I had no desire to to have a Super Bowl ring. I never thought about asking him for one. But that night, he realized that I cared. And when people know that you really care about them, um, you know, you, you, you've given them a, a gift that a, that a million dollars would replace. In the next breath, he says to me, he said, Cody, I'm going to make a big man out of you. And I said, well, how are you going to do that, coach? And he said, how would you like a Super Bowl ring? And I went, what? A Super Bowl ring? And 
bottom line is he had a Super Bowl ring for, made for me. The company that made the ring had to call the owner, Lamar Hunt, to get permission to make the ring because they're very protective of these things. And I, I believe Coach said that he, um, you know, that he um, uh, he was getting one made for his son or something. But, um, you know, so so the spoils of schmoozing, there's benefits to, um, to, you know, being kind and reaching out to people and then showing people that you, you have heart. And I'd kind of like to, to finish up with, with something that, that I think is, is pretty important. And it's about, it's about, uh, being appreciative of what we have. Sometimes, you know, we go, whoa, it's me. And we put our chin in the chest and, you know, and there's people on this listening now that I know have had it pretty rough starting out. I, I think your, your host had it pretty rough starting out. And, uh, and I had it pretty rough starting out, you know, and you, within a seven mile period, a seven mile radius, you move 32 times. I mean, it's a wonder you're, you're, you know, you, you, you got uh, any kind of a future at all. But I think as bad as it gets, um, that we've really got to appreciate. We've got to appreciate, uh, you know, the things that um, we have in life. And, and mm-hmm. I always tell people that, you know, if they don't have a dime in their pocket, they have it better than 99.9% of all the people that have ever lived on the face of this earth. And and I and I actually do believe that. So um, there's there's a poem and it's in the book. And if you'll indulge me, I'd like to just read it. It's it's not very long, but I think it it drives home my point. Appreciate everything. Appreciate it when you go out on the street and the light is green. Appreciate it when somebody gives you a small candy. Appreciate every compliment you receive. Appreciate the love that people give you. Appreciate every breath that someone takes before they tell you something because they took it for you. Appreciate even bad things because there's no better thing than balance and balance doesn't exist without bad things. Appreciate your balance. Appreciate your life. Appreciate yourself. Author unknown. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very well, much. Yeah, thank you. Can Cody you please let our... Yes, Mr. Can you can you please let our audience know where they can go to get your book? Yes, you can go um you can go online is the best place to get it. Uh Barnes and Noble or Amazon. I think most people use Amazon. It's called Schmooze What They Should Teach at Harvard Business School. And I know that there's some people out there. The gentleman that wrote the foreword is Dr. Nito Quibane. He's, he's president of High Point University and just an unbelievable guy. Um, wow. Any Yankee fans out there, um, Hal Steinbrenner has endorsed <laughs> it, Alan Dershowitz. I mean, and it's, it's, it's a great read. It's a fun read. It's called Schmooze, What They Should Teach at Harvard Business School. And you can uh, probably the best place to get it is, is right online at Amazon. Awesome. Thank you very much. And if anyone wanted to reach out to you to find out more about you, where can they go to find So they can go to mrschmooze.com. Um, that's my website. 
and um, it'll kind of it'll tell you more about uh, you know the things that I've done and so on and so forth. And you know, I'm doing speaking now and what have you. I've got a uh, Thursday. I'm doing some. I've never done one of these. It's a it's a virtual speech. It's a keynote for a company out of Chicago, and um, I'm looking forward to it. But it's it's something new to me. But so we'll see how that goes. So. Yeah, uh, it's mrschmooze.com. And uh, and then if you Google me, Cody Lowry, I mean, all kinds of stuff come up, several pages. And um, get a book, you want me to sign it, I'd be happy to. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Lowry, for joining us today for the Secret to Success podcast. And I'm going to let you leave the final word with our audience today. So it's on you. What what would the final words be for our audience today? Remember, schmooze. It's about going through life with a good bedside manner. All right. Well, thank you again, Mr. Lowry, so much for joining us today. And you have to do me a favor. You have to do me a favor. The next time we talk, call me Cody. Yes, sir, Cody. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, I really hope you purchase the book, Learn How to Schmooze. Thank you so much, Cody, for joining us today. And from the words of our founder and CEO, you can plant better, you can dominate. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world, not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people.
And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training, and I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True, but it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter, and that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there? And that's why you need Zip Recruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that Zip Recruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that Zip Recruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out uh, review and rate candidates four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter it is a blessing and no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about, well, you go to ziprecruiter.com slash B2B, all spelled the regular way. That's zip, Z-I-P, recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ziprecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ziprecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.